And welcome for those of you who are here this morning, for those of you watching outside, and for those of you, I know some of you are on vacation, so you might be listening or watching um, from uh, on your vacation. So thank you so much for joining us. And um, it's really funny, you know, last week we talked about gossip, and I don't know if I've ever had more response to a sermon than last week, because people were coming up to me and go, oh, am I gossiping or am I just sharing information? And people were just so nervous because they were afraid to say something to somebody because I don't want to gossip. I don't want to gossip. You know, and, you know, I, I think that's kind of good. Even some person I heard um, said something and the response from this other person was, hey, didn't you hear Pastor Dave's message on gossiping? You know, they were joking, but, you know, I think it's important because gossip is prevalent in churches. It's one of those things that we all do it. What's the harm in it, right? It can't be that bad. But as we learned last week, God really takes gossip seriously. And so we should. You know, especially when it sows up discord within the body of believers. Because if you read Proverbs 6, those who sow up discord, strife, among the body of believers, that's number seven on God's list of things that he hates. And so I'm glad that at least we are starting to think about it because gossip is very serious. It hurts people and it hurts our witnesses as believers because nobody likes to be around people who gossip who share, who just say vicious things, who try to knock down other people. As the body of Christ, what did I uh, say that we should? We should be building up people and not tearing them down, you know, especially through gossip. So thank you so much uh, for uh, listening. Um, And we're going to continue to talk about it because I know that, you know, one message Um, It'll probably go in one ear and out the other. But this is something I think is important because we see it so much happening in the church and it's something I believe that the church really has to deal with. Um, But, you know, when I was growing up, you know, there was this survey that says that, you know, my generation makes more decisions, life-changing decisions in one day than my grandparents did in an extended period of time, right? That things are so complex back in the 80s in the 70s, that we make more decisions that affect our life than in one day than our parent, grandparents did over a long period of time. But now as I look at where we are today, my goodness, isn't life so much more complex? Now, I know some of you don't, can't go back to the 80s and 90s and you don't have a reference point. So this is just what it is. But for those of us who have lived through that, I could tell you that life is so much more complex now. If you are a parent, raising your kid today is so much more complex than when I was being raised. Trying to navigate through your career, trying to navigate friendships with social media, trying to navigate what's going on in this world. There's so much information bombarding us all the time on the Internet. Back then, we didn't have the Internet Right When I was growing up, there was no such thing as the Internet. We are getting so much information. Life is so complex. And people are saying, how do I navigate through life? How do I make the right decisions as a parent for my career in friendships when it seems like life is just so complicated right now? But the good thing is God has a plan for us to help us navigate through life. And it really doesn't 
matter how complex life gets, whether you grew up in the, you know, the 40s, grew up in the 80s, 70s, 80s, or you're growing up in the 90s or now in the 2000s, it really doesn't matter because God has a plan that really doesn't matter what generation you are, and it's called wisdom. Wisdom that God gives each one of us to help us navigate through life. And so what is wisdom? If you look up um, this uh, picture right here, once again, now half of you probably don't even know what this is. I mean, how many of you know what movie this is? Raise your hand. Okay, only about half. Okay, some of you younger people. (laughs) But I was talking to somebody, and Leah uh, was saying, well, Leah doesn't even know what this is. And so I was just dating myself, and I go, okay, I'm going to have to explain this to half the congregation. Okay, this movie is from Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And, of course, the star was Harrison Ford. Now, in this movie, um, both Harrison um, Ford or Indiana Jones is after the quest of um, the Holy Grail. And in this movie, the Holy Grail is supposed to be the cup that caught Christ's blood when he was at the cross. And there was legend that whoever uh, drank from this cup would get eternal life or live forever. And so both Indiana Jones are um, going, uh, going after this cup, but so are the Nazis because this was during World War uh, II. They're all going after that. And so he finally finds it, and there's this knight here who drank from it, and he's really old. Because one, it gives you eternal life. And so um, Indiana Jones' father was shot, and so he wanted to um, put this water into the cup to give to his father so his father wouldn't die. Okay. However, if you look in the background on that uh, counter there, there are a lot of different cups. And so the knight says that one of these cups is the Holy Grail, but you need to choose which one. Because he said the true grail will give you life, and the other will take life from you. And so there was this one person who was uh, like the uh, protagonist or the enemy, and he just grabbed it, and he took one because he wanted it for himself. And he drank it. It was wrong cup, and what happened? He shriveled up into the skeleton, exploded. And what did the knight say? He chose poorly. (laughs) Well, and so now it was Indiana's turn. Which one? Which one? Because there's all of these beautiful cups. And he said, this cup was for the king of the kings. And then Indiana looked at this one cup. It was very plain. There was no jewels on it, and it looked like it was made of copper and not gold. And Indiana goes, hey, this is a cup of a carpenter. So, of course, he chooses that. He um, drinks it. And what did the knight say? You chose wisely. Yeah, some of you already know that line, right? You chose wisely. But you know, that's wisdom, you know, because we have a choice to choose God's wisdom or not, right? If we choose God's wisdom, it will give you life, and you choose wisely. If you choose man's wisdom, it will take life away from you, and you choose poorly. And so this is what we're going to take a look at today, is how do we gain wisdom that no matter what century you're living in, no matter what decade, no matter what situation you find yourself in, 
God's wisdom will give you the ability to navigate through that in the way that he wants you to, in a way that will give you life and not be successful. So if you have your Bibles, can you turn with me to James chapter 3, verse 13. We're going to continue our study in the book of James. And so James says, well, who is wise among you? Let him show, their, let him show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that come from wisdom. Now, the reason he says this, too, is when you think of a person who's wise, who do you think of? You might think of an old man who just has this long beard, and he's just sitting down, and he just spews out what words of wise wisdom. Or it could be an older woman who's just really wise, and somebody goes up to you, and this, this person just gives you the wise answer, and he goes, Wow, that was so deep. I never thought of that. And I think that's most of us who think about wisdom, right? It's about sayings that will make our life easier if we apply those things or to learn lessons by. But if you take a look at the Hebrew or the Israelites, wisdom was always behavioral. We take a look at wisdom as intellectual. It's a saying. It's a phrase. Right? Oh, okay, that, that makes sense. But to the Israelites or the Hebrews, wisdom was always behavioral. For us, it's up here. For the Jewish population, wisdom meant action, meant doing something. And this is what James has in mind here as he's talking to his brothers. He's not talking about wisdom being up here. It starts up here, but wisdom always has an action to it. It's behavioral. And so that's what he was saying. So what is wisdom? Well, if you see this next slide up here, wisdom is if you have knowledge plus understanding plus application, you gain God's wisdom. So what's knowledge? Knowledge is just the truth. Knowledge is the truth of God's word. And this is why we should be reading God's word so we can know the truth. Okay. But it's not good enough just to know the truth and reading it. We have to understand what it says. And this goes into the study of it. This is why when I tell you to read your Bible, just don't read it and check it off. Because, you, you know, granted, most of the Bible is understandable. Okay, now there's some parts that you might need to go online and get a commentary. You might need to ask me. But the second part is understanding what it says. Okay? First part is knowledge. What does the Bible say? The second part is, okay, what does it mean? Do I understand this? And then the third part is application. It's like I know what it says. I understand what the Bible is asking of me. Then the next step is to what? Do it. Do it. You need all three to experience God's wisdom. But the problem is most of us do one and two, right? The third part, the application part, that's the hard part. However, if you don't have all three, you will never, ever experience God's wisdom. Now, you know, I went through two major dry spiritual stages in my life. The first one is when I was in college and young adult, where I just walked away from the church. I walked away from, you know, God. 
You know, I knew that he was calling me to be a pastor, but I didn't want to be a pastor. So I just walked away. I, I got involved in my career. Unfortunately, you know, working at Continental Airlines at the airport, you know, I had to work on Sundays. And so I, I didn't go to church. But if you looked at my life, I wasn't doing pretty much any of those three. I mean, at best, I was doing the first one, knowledge. And so I felt far from God. I didn't feel like I was in a close relationship with God. And at that point, actually, I didn't even care, right? Because my focus was another thing. So that was the first time. The second is when I became a pastor. And it started about maybe six years, five, six years ago when we lost our associate pastor. Because when I had an associate pastor, we had a rhythm of preaching, well, I would preach, you know, three times a month, and the associate would preach once. But when he left, I took on the majority of the preaching. Where the average person, I talked to, you know, some of my friends who are, you know, lead senior pastors, and they say they preach about 50% of the time. You know, guys like Andy Stanley, who are wonderful communicators in big churches, they do about maybe 60%, right? Um, but granted, they, and so... That's about the average. I was putting in like over 90%, right? Because I was preaching every single Sunday. But what happens when you're doing that? I'm just concentrating on knowledge and understanding. Every Sunday, I'm, I, you know, I spend hours and hours and hours in Scripture. I'm reading it. I'm reading commentaries. What does it say? How could I teach this? How could I, apply, how could I communicate this in a way that all of you will understand it? I'm reading it at night. Two o'clock in the morning, I'm in bed with grace, and I'm looking at my iPhone, right? And I'm reading, you know, commentaries. I'm reading scripture. And Grace is like, would you go to bed? I said, no, no, I'm reading God's word, you know? And I got to read God's word. I'm preaching. I got to communicate this Sunday. Either that or I'd be, you know, listening to Right Now Media or, or something, and I'd plug in my earphones, and I'd be listening to a sermon, right? And that's what I would do. I would study, 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 not an understanding. But one thing I didn't do was what? application. My main concern was that you understood it, that you knew it, and that you could apply it to my li- your life. And I realized that as I did this, I knew a lot, I understood it, but my spiritual life was just dry. And I could come up here and teach you, but there was nothing going on inside. And then I realized, duh, you know, the application part. So if it could happen to me, who spent hours and hours and hours a week with knowledge and understanding, but no application, and my spiritual life was dry, I guarantee you it's going to happen to you. So if you're here right now, and you're saying, you know what, my spiritual life isn't what it is. You know, I feel distant from God. I don't feel close to Jesus right now. You know, when, when I'm faced with these situations, I have no clue what God wants for me. It's probably that you're missing one of the three. So this is so important. In order for you to have God's wisdom, all three of those things you need to apply in your life. Now, the common mistake when it comes to wisdom is we think that somehow if we gain God's wisdom, it gives us a a deeper meaning or purpose of the events going around us or the ability to see what God has done and what he's doing in a particular case and what he's going to do next. We think that, you know, wisdom, when God imparts wisdom, he gives us an understanding of why things are happening. 
and then what's going to happen so we could plan. That's a mistake, right? That's a mistake. And we see that through Job, right? God's wisdom is not about you understanding what he's doing, right? It's more like driving, right? So when you drove here this morning, you had to navigate a lot of different things. When you're on the freeway, you say, okay, do I get over? Do I not? Do I stay in this lane? Do I speed up? Do I slow down? When I get off on the kamikaze entrances and exits on the 10 freeway, okay, is this guy going to let me in or do I go in front of him and go like the zipper thing, you know, off the 10 freeway? And we navigate all of that. We anticipate. And so when you look at God's wisdom, it's like that. It, it's basically making the appropriate responses to the consistently changing things to exercise sound, in ju- sound judgment regarding speed, distance, and braking. So basically, we want the appropriate responses to a constantly changing scene. And that's what God's wisdom is like is you are taking God's wisdom so you could take the appropriate action in an ever-changing world. Because I guarantee you, when you go home, the driving conditions will be different than you got, came here. But you need to know how to react. And that's the same thing with God's wisdom. Every day, is, you're going to come up with a different scenario. Every day, you're going to um, face different challenges. But God's wisdom allows you to respond appropriately to each one of those things that happen in your life on a daily basis. God's wisdom is not telling you why this happened. God's wisdom is not telling you what's going to happen so you could um, uh, plan for it. You just simply try to see and do the right thing in the actual situation that presents itself. Right, And so, this is God's wisdom. But he also says, okay, what sabotages God's wisdom? James 3, 14. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Okay? If you're trying to live a life with God's wisdom, if, you're, if your vibe that you're giving off says, I'm trying to live God's wisdom. So you're telling people that you are praying for God's direction. You are seeking God's will. So we all say, wow, this person is spiritual, right? But he says, if you harbor bitter envy or if you're jealous, if you want something really bad that somebody else has, right? If you are not content with what God has given you and you're looking at somebody else and you say, I want that, and there's this bitterness in you, then you're saying, hey, you're lying about the truth. You might be saying the truth about wisdom, but inside you're lying. Or if there's selfish ambition, if life is about you, if you're looking at you know, God, how do I make decisions that just benefit me, right? It's all about me. Or God, what do I do? Or if you're the type of person that always wants to be right and to let other people know that you're right, right? This is not a part of God's wisdom. And so what he was saying, this was going on in the church. And he was saying, you guys are misappropriating or you're misunderstanding God's wisdom. It's not about that. And if that's what's driving you to want God's wisdom, you are lying to yourself. 
You're a fake. Outside you might look spiritual, but God knows our hearts, and God's saying you're fake. You're fake, right? If a person professes to have saving faith in Jesus Christ and claims to have wisdom from God but has a heart that is proud, arrogant, and self-centered and lives a life that is worldly, self-serving, and sensual, his claims to salvation are false. We cannot be characterized by those things. And then he goes on to say, such wisdom does not come from heaven, but it is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. See, that, that, you know, that wisdom that's all about selfish ambition or selfish gain, that doesn't come from heaven. That comes from this world. And he said that application is only available in this space and time. It is not eternal. You're not going to have selfish ambition. You're not going to have jealousy in heaven. And that's where we are going to spend all of our time. So he's saying, why are you worrying about jealousy and self-ambition when it's only tied to this earth? You know, it's kind of like I said, if you blink your eyes, that's how quick our time here is on earth. So why are you going after the things? Why are you going after the things that your friends have? That you, why aren't you just content with what you have? Or why isn't where you are good enough and you have all of these selfish ambitions? You think you're right, so everybody else has to follow your plans, right? He said, those things are the world, and they're limited to this world. They're not from heaven. He said, it's unspiritual. You know, man's wisdom has no place for God or the things of God. It has no place for spiritual truth. Okay, man's wisdom, if you rely on that, has no spiritual truth. And finally, he said, it's it's demonic. Man's wisdom has stands against anything that God stands for. It's kind of like, you know, when Eve was tempted in the garden. You know, when you see the fall, you know, Satan says, you know, after you know, he's tempted Eve to eat the fruit, and Satan says, you will, cert- you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that if you eat from it, your eyes will be open, for you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What's he playing on? jealousy, that God has something that you don't have, right? So if you eat this fruit, you'll be able to have what God has. Or playing on what? Selfish ambition. Yeah, you might be smart now, but don't you want to be smarter? Don't you want to be wiser, right? Don't you want to be able to boss Adam around? (laughs) You know, take this fruit, right? And so what happens, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and was pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took it. She fell for it. She fell for it. She fell for jealousy and selfish ambition. And Satan packaged it in a way that she would go for it. See, a lot of times we think evil is something that's really heinous, which it is. But when Satan comes after us, that's usually not the way he goes. Because when he tempts us with something, if it's so evil, we'll just, oh, you know, I'm not going to do that. What he does is he takes the truth and distorts it just a little bit, just a little bit. So we go, hmm, now it's more palatable. Now maybe I could do this. Man's wisdom is like that. It's demonic. It sources from 
hell itself. He goes on to say, um, what are the results if you use this kind of wisdom? Verse 16, for where you have envy and self-ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Man's wisdom is driven by jealousy, envy, and selfish ambition, right? It's like, I want what you have that I don't have, or I want this because it will give me an upper hand. It will make me uh, special. But what does James say? If you are going after these things, what happens? Well, disorder is a result of this, and every evil thing will happen. Now, when you're talking about evil thing, that's everything under the umbrella of evil, from that which is heinous to that which is still evil, but it's palatable, each of which has a way of destroying our lives, right? And this is what happens. So if you are following man's wisdom, what, he's, what does he say? Your life will be filled with chaos. It'll be chaotic. They, you're not going to be experiencing any peace. You're going to be anxious. You're going to be worrying. You're going to be afraid, right? And so that's what he was saying. Now, there's nothing wrong with being afraid, right? But if it is if you're not, if fear keeps you from following God. So I want you to think about your life right now. Are there parts of your life that you're anxious? Are there a part of your life that's disordered or chaos, chaotic, and you're going, God, what's going on here? There's no peace. Could it be then that you're just following man's wisdom instead of God's? Because he said these are the results that happen when we follow God's, man's wisdom. But then he contrasts that. He said, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, and sincere. Now, a person who's living according to God's wisdom, these are some of the characteristics that you should be happening, see happening in your life. So first of all, he said the wisdom from heaven is pure, meaning that we live a life that's wholly devoted to God. It is not mixed up with man's wisdom. Because we know that in Proverbs fourteen twelve, the author says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it is the way of death. Right? There are certain things that we might think it's right to do this. But what does the author say? In the end, it leads to death. Because it's not God's wisdom, it's man's wisdom, even though it might seem right. So a lot of times, are we mixing God's wisdom with man's wisdom? He said that wisdom from heaven is not mixed with man's wisdom at all. It is 100% pure. It is peace-loving. It is not combative. It is considerate, meaning, in other words, it's gentle, you know, or meek. And I know meekness is not a characteristic that we value in our culture today, right? But didn't Jesus say that in Matthew 11? He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest in your soul. So Jesus himself, the Son of God, says that he was gentle, So if the Son of God is gentle, if the Son of God is meek, there is no shame in us having that same quality that he desires. Basically, all meekness is his power under control, that Jesus had infinite power, 
but it was always under control. When he was being crit- uh, crucified, he just didn't point at people and kill them. No, he had the power to do that. He had the power to do that. No, it was power under control. And then he said, God's wisdom is full of mercy. It's merciful. It's full of good fruit. It's impartial. You can't buy it with power or money, and it's sincere. And finally, he goes on to saying, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. And that's what Jesus said, right? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So when you think of wisdom, are these the characteristics that you think of? Or is your life right now characterized by chaos, right, and every kind of evil? So then why is wisdom so important? Wisdom enables us to make the best use of our time on earth. And this is what Moses says in Psalm 90, starting with verse 10. He said, Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. So what Moses is saying here is that our time here on earth is short. You might have 70 years, and if you're lucky, you might have 80 years. But here's this, you know, they just fly away so quickly, right? For those of us who are older, who have less days um, ahead of us than behind, don't we ask that? How did we get here? Man, wasn't I just 18? You know, I said, now, man, I'm, I'm getting ready to retire, you know? Time ha- goes so quickly. And then what does he say in verse 12? Moses asked God to teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And so what Moses is saying here, our time here is so short that we are not to waste it. That if we want to use our time wisely here on earth, which is so short, we need to use it by living according to God's wisdom. Don't mess around by going after other things. Man's wisdom Life is too short. Have you ever heard that saying? Life is too short. It really is too short. You know, I was um, listening to, you know, Pastor Tony Evans, and he has an exercise that helps him remind him of this. He takes Post-its, right? And he figures out, you know, how many days he probably has left based on statistics. And he gets that amount of Post-its, and every day he just peels one off and throws it away. Right? Because each one represents a day that he has left. Right? So I took that. I figured, okay, um, 61 and the, no, I'm going to be 61 soon. And the average male in California lives to be about 81. So I said, okay, that's 20 years. So I figured, okay, if I do that, okay, this is one block of post-it. I would need about 16 of them. You know? Now, some of you, Man might need 30 or, or even longer. But I said, well, that's an interesting thing, that if I get them, that every day that passes, I'll just whoop, take out one post-it and throw it in the trash. But he said, once you throw it in the trash, you cannot get it back. But that's, isn't that like our life? Once time passes, you can't get it back. So we need wisdom to, um, because our time here is not short. And we want to use our time here on earth wisely. So if wisdom is so important to help us navigate through life, in order, since life is so brief, that we want to use our time on earth wisely, how do we get it? How do we get it? Well, the first thing we do is we need to take God seriously. We need to take 
God seriously, right? It's not half of our uh, foot is in the kingdom of heaven and half of the uh, foot and we're straddling is in this earth's kingdom, right? Don't we all try to do that? We try to get the things from both worlds, right? God says no. It's either him or the world. You can't have both. We need to take what God says in his word seriously, right? Why? Because in Proverbs 9.10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So if you want wisdom, what's the first thing you need to do? Is fear the Lord. Now, it's not to be afraid of God, like shaking in fear. No, it's to have a healthy respect for God. You know, it's kind of like Grace, my wife and I, Grace, we were driving on Huntington Drive last night. And so we were driving, and all of a sudden we see these red and blue flashing lights, right? And they go, uh-oh, there's a police off there. So instinctively, instinctively, what do you think I did? Do you think I sped up? No, I slowed down. Now, I was going to speed limit. I, oh, I'm going to speed limit. But I slowed down even more, just in case, right? And so as we were getting closer, we found out that those red and blue uh, flashing lights, they were those speed indicators. So if you're going past 40 miles an hour, then these lights would flash. Then I go, ah, it's not a police officer. <laughs> Zoom. You know, I didn't go past 40, but I, I dropped it somewhere in the low 30s, you know, and I said, oh, it's not a police officer. Boom. Why? Because police officers, what? We respect them because of their authority. So when I see flashing red and blue lights, I, I take my foot off the gas pedal. But that's what it is like God, Right? Is when God says something, we should not speed up if we're going the opposite direction. We, not, we should not be running to it, right? We should be, whoa, God says this is something that we shouldn't do. Not to make our life miserable, but he said, you know what, this is the best way to live your life. We need to take God seriously. The second thing that we need to do is we need to maintain a close relationship with Jesus. It says, I am the vine, John 15, 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I you, then you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Remember, once again, what are some of the characteristics of wisdom? That you will what? Bear good fruit. And how do we bear good fruit? Well, we remain close to Jesus. It says, um, it's not just knowing about Jesus, Right? Because some of us settle by reading the Bible, and we know all about Jesus, right? It'd be similar to saying, well, I know all about LeBron James, right? I know all of the statistics about LeBron James, but I don't personally know him. I know about him. And sometimes we could get that way with our faith, right? We know all there is to know about who Jesus is or who God is. But then do we have that relationship with him? Do we feel close? And so how do we remain in Jesus? How do we remain in Jesus? Well, in this case, number one, we have to have knowledge of the word, which is this Bible. We need to look at our Bibles. We need to be reading our Bibles. Second of all, we need understanding. We have to understand what it says. We need to be part of a group, a life group that helps us understand the areas that might be confusing for us. And finally, application. We need to do what it says. And this is why James says it's so important to be a doer of the word and not just a hearer of the word that's how we remain close to jesus it's one having all of those three things 
And if we're missing any one of those three things, that is not remaining in Jesus. In order for us to remain in Jesus, we need to have knowledge, we need to have understanding, and we need to have application. Finally, we need to ask for wisdom. Once again, in James 1.5, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives it generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. First of all, ask God. Don't try to rely on your own intuition. Don't try to rely on your past. Don't try to rely on your own experience, because that's where we first go. Or don't go to your friends who say, oh, man, I'm in this situation. What do I do? So we go to our best friends. No, what do we do? We go to God first. We ask God, and he said, it will be given to you if you ask him. Okay, now there's a warning here, and the warning comes before the spell. Okay, you guys didn't get that either. Dr. Strange, the first one, <laughs> the warning comes after the... Uh, okay, I'm in the mix of generation. Nobody gets me, okay? But anyway, he was saying the warning comes after the spell. Well, I'm going to tell you the warning before um, this verse here. The warning is be prepared to get an answer you don't want to hear. When you, get, when you ask God for wisdom, be prepared to... Uh, Get an answer you really don't want to hear. You know, like, I, you know, I've shared this before. Um, when I was at Continental Airlines as a supervisor, um, I remember we had these contract workers who, you know, they check the luggage tags before you go out to make sure you had the right luggage and you're not taking somebody else's luggage. And one of their personnel, they weren't Continental employees, they were contracted, but they got a call that said the police found their father, her father, and the reason they found, they, they found her father dead. And the reason they found him, because the neighbors started smelling this awful smell that was coming from their house. And so they went in, and they found out the fa- her father had been dead for a while. And so she was trying to get back. Now, at the time, she didn't have a whole lot of money, and she asked if I could help. So I went to all the supervisors and asked, hey, can I give her a free ticket? You know, we give free tickets to people that we oversell. We give free tickets to people that we inconvenience. Can I do it for this person? And all of my supervisors said no, which kind of frustrated me because I said, if we could do it for our customers, why can't we do it to help out somebody? But they did not. And technically, I could have wrote, written a ticket for her to get her to a round trip because I had the authority to do that. But that would have been wrong, right? Because I was told I can't do that. And so um, I said, okay, I went back to her and said, you know what, I'm sorry, I did everything I could. You know, I I tried, but I can't get you a ticket. And then I said, God, what do you want me to do? I didn't tell her that, I was just telling myself. And then I distinctly heard, give her the money. I said, what? (laughs) Give her the money. And I said, oh, God, I did not hear you right. I'm asking for wisdom, but that's not the answer I wanted to hear. Because back then, a round-trip ticket was $300. Now, back in the early, late 80s, early 90s, that, late 80s, that $300 was a lot of money. Right? And I knew this person probably couldn't pay back. And I said, okay, God, no, no, I didn't hear you right. God, what do you want me to do? Is there something else you want me to do? And it kept on going back. You help her. Give her the money. So I said, ugh. And so I'm just stomping all the way to the ATM. Oh, I'm going to give him money. I'm going to give him money. Stick my card in there. And at, the, at that time, the max I could take out was $300. And so I took out the $300. And 
I gave it to her. Right, of course, I didn't let her know that I was grumpy about it. I was just saying, here's money. I hope you could use it to buy your ticket. I didn't realize that was a game changer in her life. Right? What changed her life? Well, she wrote me a card that it says, it's really nice to know who your close friends are. I said, I didn't even know you. And yet she considered me a close friend. Why? Because I listened. I asked for wisdom what to do in this particular situation because I couldn't get her a ticket and God gave me the answer that he wanted me to do, but it wasn't the answer I wanted to hear. But I went ahead and I did it anyway. But see, now, that was like back in the the early 90s, late 80s. Now, God has been working on that so much where it comes out of, you know, 1 Timothy 6, right? Where um, Paul says, be ready to share and to be generous. And so now it doesn't bother me. You know, when I find out that people need help, you know, a lot of times I just do it anonymously. I take out some money, wrap it up, you know, send it to them without a return address. You know, it's almost, I don't even have to think about it. You know, it's, it's almost like, okay, God, who can I help? And if the answer is, I want you to give the money. Okay, I'll do that. You know, it was before I was, ugh, you know. That's how we come closer to Christ. And this is what happens when we ask God for wisdom. I had no idea it was going to make such an impact on this person. God knew. And so I went to God and asked him for wisdom. What do I do in this particular situation, not knowing what the outcome would be, not knowing why do I need to do this? I just did it because that's what God told me. And so that's what we need to do. We need to ask. But once again, be prepared for getting an answer that you're not going to hear. But I guarantee you, if you do it, it'll change your life. It'll change other people's life. And this is how we grow. Okay, so those are the three things that we do in order to get wisdom. So what's our weekly challenge this week? Well, I want us to read James 3 through 13 through 18 every single day. Right? And are there any areas in your life where you are mixing human wisdom with God's wisdom? Okay? And you might need to ask somebody. Right? You might need to ask, you know, when I look around this congregation, I'm glad to see people with gray hair or people with no hair. Why? Because that shows experience. Right? It shows we have experience. You know, guys like me, yes, I'm on the end of my career, but I lived the life of following God in successes and failures that I hope that I could pass on to some of you younger people. But we also have older people here. They've seen it. They've been through it. You know, we need to bring these two together to use the wisdom of older, more experienced believers and pair that with um, younger believers. Because I guarantee you, I've heard some of these conversations of young people, right? And I've heard these situations where these guys are saying, well, how do we go on a date? How do I ask this, how do I, I, um, ask this person out? And I'm just listening to that. I'm like, this is ridiculous. So I can't hold it anymore. I said, okay, you guys, come on. And then I, I talk to them, right? Because it's like the blind leading the blind, right? <laughs> you might need to ask somebody. You know, like I said, we've got a lot of wisdom 
in this room. Utilize it. Utilize it. Is jealousy or selfish ambition influencing your life? If so, readjust your thinking to follow God's wisdom. Right now, is there areas in your life where you are jealous? If are there areas in your life where you're not satisfied, where you have all of these ambitions that you have? Now, there's nothing wrong, there's nothing wrong with being ambitious. Nothing wrong. As long as your ambitions are in line with God wants you to, with what God wants you to do. Okay, so I want you to do those things this week. Um, Elijah, Tatiana, would you please come forward and let's close in a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, you know, the world we live in is just so complex. You know, I thought it was complex when I was growing up and being a young adult. But Father, it's nothing compared to what it was when I was growing up. Yet, Father, you gave me the wisdom that I needed to help navigate through life the way you wanted me to. And Father, I know there are times where I didn't listen to you, where I thought I knew better. And out of that came disorder. Out of that came chaos. Out of that came every kind of evil. And Father, there are also times when I've read your word and I understood it, but I failed to apply it. And I had the same results. So right now, I want each one of you to think about where you are in your life right now. Is there disorder? Is there anxiousness? Is there confusion? Is there temptation to do what is evil? Even if it's not heinously evil, but if it goes against God's word, it falls into that category. I want you to think about that right now. And I pray that as you think about it, that number one, that you would take God seriously, that you wouldn't just nod in approval and say yes while your heart says no, but you would take God seriously because he loves you. He wants the best for you. He's giving you a way to navigate through these complex situations in your life. Take him seriously. To maintain a close relationship with Jesus. Make the decision to, Jesus, I want to remain close to you. And I'm going to do this by reading your word. I'm going to do it by best, as I best I can to understand it or get help to understand it. And then, Father, I'll follow that up by applying it in my life. And thirdly, if your life is confused right now, if it's disorder, ask God for wisdom. And when you ask God for wisdom, be prepared to get an answer that you don't want to hear. But have faith knowing that that's the perfect answer because it comes from a perfect God who loves you and wants the best for you. That we need to go to him and trust. God, we are so grateful that you've given us the ability to navigate this complex world, that we don't have to do it on our own. And Father, for each one of us, Lord, we need your wisdom. 
We desire your wisdom. We yearn for your wisdom. But Father, I pray that you would give us the discipline to gain knowledge, to understand that knowledge, and then to put it into practice. Thank you, Father. In your son's name we pray. Amen.